a work in progress, and um, we wanted to start out the series or the year working through the book of Acts. And my hope is that this concept of what we're doing right now, this idea of the church, when we talk about our origin story, the hope is that what we do here, our origin story will be the book of Acts, that what started there, we're still a part of. And so we felt like as we're moving into a new year and so much transition has happened with you as individuals and us as a church and us as a community um, that we can really learn from this text. And my hope is that we will be the kind of people and the kind of church that uh, we find starting back in this story. I want us to continue it, which means we need to learn it and we need to pay attention to it. So welcome, uh, welcome to the farmhouse and welcome to a work in progress. As we start, um, I want to give a few core standards that have kind of defined our life together here. Um, and when we talk about change and movement and progression, uh, these things are really important. And so I just wanted to offer these that as Don gets into our text in Acts 2, that we're kind of reminded of like, okay, what do we exactly do with this? So the first standard, if you could go to the... The first thing we need to be honest about is that the question isn't, can we change? Change is inevitable. The question rather is, how will we change? We cannot stay where we are. Things will move. We need to think about how we want them to move. Uh, go to the next one. We need to be honest that change is hard and it happens slowly. And our first instinct then will always be resistance. We have dominant scripts that we like to run by. We will try to resist anything different because we're running on those scripts. We also know that change is always a loss. How things were, they changed. That's not there anymore. And that also that whatever change we're undergoing, wherever we're trying to go with our lives and our world, it's going to be difficult. And so we need to be honest about that. Uh, go to the next one. As we change, we will either be intentional about our destination or we will drift towards what is easiest, which is rarely what is best. And we would like to say that we have been given that telos, that destination. We have been given the, the guide, the map for where we need to go. And that's why being here and talking about these things is so important. We need to learn where it is we need to drive or else we will veer off the road. Uh, next one. Healthy progress begins with an intentional shift in perspective. You have to know what that destination is. That flew really far. Uh, you have to know where that direction is. If, if you're traveling to California, you need to know this is, this is the place that I need to get to. But just changing your perspective is not enough. Go to the next one. This is, this is our last standard that I hope we hold well. Healthy progress unfolds with intentional small steps, a transition to practically guide you through the process and its obstacles. If all you do is put a pin on the map at California and you don't pay attention to all of the roads and the movement you have to do along the way, you're not gonna get there. So I hope today, as we hear uh, these songs from Cliff, um, as we hear these words from Don, that's helping paint the picture of all these things we need to do to get to the kind of people that we're created to be and the kind of community that God dreams for us to be. So that's our hope uh, for today. Um, I want to start with a poem 
by uh, a man named Rumi. Some of you are probably familiar uh, with some of his work. Um, but this is a poem that's called What's Not Here. And Cliff is going to play a song. Um, this first one's called Passerby. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and the song <clears throat> is, is one where you're kind of hearing, uh, be careful about how you perceive other people, the people that pass by you, mm -hmm. um, because we're all a mess. <laughs> we all have stuff that we don't know about with other folks. And so I wanted to take a, just a minute. If you want to meditate through this or you want to pray through this, please do. Um, but kind of allow this to speak to you this morning. I start out on this road. Call it love or emptiness. I can only know what's not here. Resentment seeds, back scratching greed, worrying about outcome fear of people. When a bird gets free, it does not go for remnants left on the bottom of the cage. Close by I'm rain, far off a cloud of fire. I seem restless, but I am deeply at ease. Branches tremble, the roots are still. I am a universe in a handful of dirt, whole when totally demolished. Talk about choices does not apply to me. While intelligence considers options, I am somewhere lost in the wind. So go ahead, Cliff. Let's. Uh, any anything you would say about the song that we should know? Yeah, I think uh, I think you you pretty much uh, got it right on the head. Okay. It's just okay. Uh, yeah, you don't know what's going on in other people's lives, and we... and this is one you wrote. You wrote this yeah, song. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear. It. This is Passerby.
you're comfortable praying or if you just need a you have not like taken a second and closed your eyes and been silent this week I want to invite you to do that um, and let's pray together God we're grateful for the life that we have been given and as we sit in a space as a gathered community May we all embrace movement to find where you are going in this place and where you hope to take us. Allow us to see more clearly because we are here and may we become the people that we are created to be moving this world a little bit closer to what you dream for it to be because we are here. May we embrace the small part we have to help tell the story that you're telling in the world. Amen. Um, this next song is called Peaceful Warrior. Yes. Okay. I have never heard this one. I've okay. read it. Uh, <laughs> but you were telling me this morning that you actually wrote this for your son? Yeah. Um, why? Well, he was uh, our first boy. Uh, mm -hmm. it, he was our third, and I was our first boy, and uh, I was I was just kind of, uh, I guess, meditating on the um, what kind of man I wanted him to be uh, in in this world, and it's kind of it just seems like it's getting more hectic every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and no, his, I... his name is uh, Solomon Lewis, and I don't know if this is at all accurate, but when I looked up those names, uh, it it. Uh, roughly, trans very roughly translated to peaceful warrior. Yeah, it's and uh, Solomon is that same root. <laughs> you're you're on. Yeah. yeah so I uh, I liked that idea. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Just uh, and the song is kind of more about what love is and isn't, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and how uh, what what kind of man I'd want him to be. And I think in in just looking at the lyrics, I think there's something for us and this is a call for us as well. Like can we be these kinds yeah, of the, people? The, and really when I say I wrote it for my son, it was when mm -hmm. my wife was pregnant with him and, and yeah. that was what I was thinking about, but this really is cool. would apply to well, <laughs> when when I was was uh, looking at the lyrics, it reminded me of um sort of a a quote that we first used in here when we first came in the barn. Um, so I'd like to read that to kind of orient us towards like, hey, remember these things. Remember this is important to us. Uh, can you bring up the that tree image? So I'll just read this and then uh, Cliff, you go ahead and, and share the song with us, All okay? Right. This is uh, written in a, as a response to the question, what do you want to do with your life? I hope to die in a world that I was glad to live in. 
which means I will either exist like a tree or like fire. We will try to live in the world by burning and destroying it or by learning to produce life where we are, firmly rooting ourselves in the soil, taking only what we need and seeing to the preservation and enrichment of that which is around us. May you grow like a tree, not like a fire. Thank you so much to Cliff for uh, coming and sharing. I, I don't know how many of you are artists or creators, um, but to sit in front of a group of people whom you barely know and share songs that you've like written and poured into this labor of love, not sure if they're even going to care or if they're even going to like it, it's a difficult thing. And so. <laughs> We applaud you, Cliff, for, for coming and sharing. Um, you might recognize Cliff. He's been, he's played at Farmhouse Sabbath in the past and 
um, he's somebody who's around the Toledo area a lot. So we're grateful that he came in and, and shared with us today. Give him a round of applause again. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, and now we're going to switch to the other art form, uh, also from a South Toledo inhabitant. Um, and, and like I said, Don has been instrumental in my life. And as I was looking at this week's text, Acts chapter 2, um, I thought I can stand up here and try to say all the things that I've heard Don say about this. Or I could just have Don come and say them all to you directly from him. Um, so that's where we're going to go next. We're going to get into the text. If you have a Bible or a Bible on uh, your phone, I would highly recommend uh, that out. Um, Don is going to jump around and make connections, and um, it'll be easier to follow along if you have that. Um, so while they're going there, Don, if you'd like to come up, um, I hope you all enjoy this talented... Or at least tolerate. <laughs> Good luck with that one. All right. Um, but why don't you all give him a round of applause. Welcome him. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Have at it. So good morning. Um, so in, in my church, we uh, are very Socratic in the way that we uh, do teachings. So I tend to ask questions. Um, and so please feel free. You can also interrupt me if uh, you have a question or I wasn't clear about something. Feel free to interrupt. Uh, you won't bother me. In fact, I will find great delight in that. So uh, so I'm, I was asked to speak about Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is primarily around this idea of the festival of Pentecost. And I think it's important that we put the word festival there because many of us were raised in a space that has convinced us or just never really realized that Pentecost pre-existed this moment in Acts 2 by probably at least 1,200 years. And so in Hebrew, it's called the festival of Shavuot. Okay? And so the festival of Shavuot was this festival in which you brought your wheat. Okay? So if you wanted to understand a festival, where would you look in the text to understand a festival? Which, which book? This is one of those non-rhetorical moments. What do you think? If you had to figure out what Passover was about or what Sukkot was about or what uh, Yom Kippur or any of those, where would you go in the text? Torah is good. We've narrowed it down to five. Yes. Okay. So one of those five. So we can just start listing them if you want, right? Leviticus. Leviticus. Excellent. Yes. So in the book of Leviticus is where we find the idea and kind of, we find it in a few other places throughout Torah, but Leviticus really hones in on what uh, a festival was about and, and where we were to go and what we were to understand. So in Jewish uh, context, when the temple was around, there were three festivals that you were required as a Jewish uh, person to ascend to the Temple Mount for. Does anybody know what those three are? And if you were in the first gathering this morning, you can answer, but after we give everyone else a chance. Any guesses? 
What are some really important, I mean, even as Christians, you know some of these festival names, at least one of them. What's that? Hanukkah? That's a great guess. Hanukkah uh, is actually not a festival listed in the Old Testament, but it is mentioned in the Bible in the book of John. It was called the Festival of Lights. So that's a great guess, but that is not one of the festivals. Anyone? So I'll, I'll give you one of the more obscure ones that you might not know. Sukkot, right? Which my son one time, we were having this, I was teaching people about Sukkot and we did this big fire pit and then we slept in tents because Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles and dwelling, right? And so we slept and and my son's godmother's name is Sue and my son was like, what is so special about Sue's coat that we are having this huge party? Um, So... Sukkot is the festival of tabernacles, and that's one of the ones that you go up to the Temple Mount for. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's around the time of Easter. Passover. Excellent. Yes. So Passover is another one of the events or one of the festivals that you go up. And then the third one is Shavuot. So in Shavuot is a time that you would gather all of your family and you would travel, no matter how far away you were, you would travel and go up to the Temple Mount. And the primary purpose for Shavuot was that you would take your wheat harvest, not your full harvest, but the first fruits of your wheat. Okay. So in the year that Jesus died, according to the text, Jesus dies at Passover. Okay. And Passover is more than one day, by the way. But he dies during Passover. He is buried during the Feast of Leavened Bread. And then he is resurrected during the, uh, the, the Festival of First Fruits. But that Festival of First Fruits was for barley. And earlier this morning, I mean, we had a good answer for this. What is barley used for? Not beer, like answered earlier today. Though I agree with that idea. Um, But what is barley? What would barley have been for? It was taking care of your animals, right? So it it was feed for the animals. This, however, is the festival of Shavuot, and you brought wheat. And who do you imagine wheat was for? What's that? Yeah, for you, your family. It's how you you took care of your household. It was your wheat harvest. And so there was something brave about taking the very first bits of your wheat and taking it to the temple with no true uh, guarantee that more would come. So there was something risky about that. But you would take and you bake two loaves of bread and you take it to the temple. It seems like a long way to go to take two loaves of bread, right? Especially you live a couple hundred miles away. Uh, the highway not yet quite formed yet. Uh, and so this process was this, this long process to take two, pieces, two loaves of bread to the temple. Are we all tracking so far? Okay. So it's really important that we understand this before we start reading Acts chapter 2. Because as we start reading Acts chapter 2, a lot of things are going to play out that you and I might miss if we don't have some background. Okay? So, as the, the rabbis, the sages, so rabbis is being a little bit anachronistic, kind of like uh, Charlton Heston wearing a watch during the Ten Commandment movie. Uh, it's a bit anachronistic to say rabbis, but the teachers and sages of the day were debating about... Why have a festival that we have to walk all this way to take two loaves of bread? 
There's got to be something much more significant about this. And so they started asking questions. Where do we see bread in the scriptures? And how do we find a way to connect this? So what do you imagine they did? Any thoughts or guesses? I'll give you a hint. Jesus is swept out to the wilderness, right? Right after he's baptized. You all remember this in Matthew, right? Jesus is swept out to the wilderness. He faces three temptations. He quotes something uh, because the devil, the Satan, says something to him. And Jesus responds by quoting a verse from Torah. Anybody know what that is? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And so the sages knew that verse. And so they thought, this is about the word of God. And so it became that Shavuot became the celebration of God giving Torah on Mount Sinai. And that's something that developed over time. And so Shavuot, the feast of of giving the wheat harvest or the the first fruits of the wheat harvest became this expression and this celebration. So those of you who maybe were raised Catholic or have a Catholic background or just a Catholic Bible have a, uh, probably have a Bible that has the book of Jubilee in it. Uh, and it's called the Apocrypha. And it's not in most of our Protestant Bibles, but it is in the Catholic Bible. And in the book of Jubilee, it actually says that Torah was given at Shavuot. And so this became the picture. And so when in Acts 2, the apostles are at the temple, right? And a quick little side note where it says they were in the house. I've heard it taught too many times that they were in the upper room. They were not up in the upper room. Uh, think the Ohio State University, the house was specific to the temple, okay? So when it says they were in the house, it's kind of like an exodus where it says the cloud. The cloud means a very specific cloud, not one that you lay on your back and go, that looks kind of like a dinosaur, right? But it was the cloud, it was the pillar cloud. And so in this moment, it's the house, which is at the temple. So they were all gathered together at the temple Okay, so this picture has evolved and this idea of Mount Sinai and the giving of Torah. And I think that this is important for us as we kind of understand this background some more. So uh, this morning we were talking about uh, the idea that Mount Sinai is where Torah is given, correct? Just nod. Show me you're alive. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So Mount Sinai is where Torah is given. Mount Sinai is located where? Not, I don't want a state or city. Like, where is it, according to the text? In the what? In the wilderness. Excellent. Good. All right. So, in the wilderness is where Mount Sinai is. Who owns the wilderness? What's that? Nobody. It's kind of like international waters we were talking about this morning, right? So if nobody owns it, then who was Torah for when God gave it on Mount Sinai? Everyone. So Torah always was, because God could have waited till they got to the promised land, then it would have been Israel's. But instead, God gave Torah in the wilderness, and so therefore, Torah was for everyone. The really cool part is, is that the, the sages had this idea, so in uh, Hebrew... 
Does anybody know what the word thunder also would translate to in English? So one of the things with Hebrew is it's, it's a very economic language. Uh, it's not very robust like English. So there's, there's much fewer words than there is in English. And so words often meant many different things. So anybody have any idea, if you were talking about someone being thunderous, what would you be talking about? If I was thunderous, what would you, be, what would you most likely be talking about? What's that? Yeah, my voice, right? That I'm being thunderous. And so it's my voice or my tongue, that my, my, the way I speak, right? And so the, the rabbis and the sages, when they heard that God at Mount Sinai, that there was thunder, they said it sounded like thunder because God spoke in every language simultaneously, because this idea was Mount Sinai was for everyone because it was in the wilderness. No one owned it. It didn't belong to a specific people. And so when God spoke, God spoke Torah and the way of living in the way that God would live if God dwelt amongst us. God spoke it in every language simultaneously. So that way the entire world received Torah at the same time as Moses. This is a really beautiful picture and one that you and I as Christians have not probably heard which is unfortunate because the idea is, is that when God fell in love with the world, right? I think there's a verse that is really popular, John 3 something, I don't know. Anyhow, when God fell in love with the world, God gave commands to the entirety of the world, not just to Israel. In fact, the, the sages have this thing about the, in the Talmud that talks about this idea that uh, God went to every other nation first, and everyone said no. And finally, God was like, all right, no one wants my commands. And then he found this small group of people wandering around. He's like, hey, last shot. Everyone else has said no. Do you want it? And they were like, sure. Right? And that's a very humble perspective of Israel saying that they were the last ones that God came to. All right, so this is background, just background, and not, man, whew, this is going to be tough. All right, so as we're developing this background, Acts 2 begins. So I'm going to read to you from the beginning of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, at Shavuot, this is sturdy, right? Well, we're going to find out. Okay, so at Shavuot, whew, it's not? That one is? Oh, well, that one's higher, so it's better. Okay, so at Shavuot, uh, uh, someone would stand at the top of the temple, right? And they would read out over all of the people, Ezekiel 1 and 2. They would read Habakkuk 3, Right? Our favorite. That is, that's like a favorite. You all have that one memorized, right? Habakkuk 3. And they would also read the book of Ruth. Right? Because Ruth is someone who is a Gentile, who comes under covenant, Mount Sinai. Right? And so we have this story. And so Ruth is an important part of Shavuot. And so they would get up and they would read from Ezekiel. And you know what Ezekiel reads and talks about early on? 
I'm going to give you a hint. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house with, while, where they were sitting. So the beginning of Ezekiel is this idea of like this thunderous wind, this storm, this whole big thing coming. And that's what they're reading. And can you imagine the experience? You're all standing on the steps of the Temple Mount. The person's up top reading very thunderously. They're being loud. They're reading over all of you. And all of a sudden, a literal wind comes sweeping through. Right? Is any of you, like, would you be freaked out by this at this moment? I, I would. Um, I, I don't know what they wore for underwear, but mine would need changed. Um, <laughs> And it says, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. There's that word tongues. And fire descended upon Mount Sinai when God met with Moses. So here the people are witnessing. It's like a play, right? Jesus tells all these great parables. There's some of them that are my favorite, which are like the living parables where he heals the blind man, but the blind man still can't quite see well. And he sees the people walking around and he thinks they're like trees, right? I'm always like, you know, Jesus, you could teach a lesson better than healing someone halfway. But the living parables are really powerful. And this is being lived out in front of them. The fire descends upon them just like at Mount Sinai, a gushing wind, just like at Mount Sinai. And then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. <clears throat> now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, right? I love that it says sound because it's not like, and, and when they heard them talking, it was when this sound, like as if all of their voices were combined. And when this sound occurred, they were amazed and astonished because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we can each hear them in our own language to which we were born? I'm going to do like I did this morning. I'm going to skip that huge section of words I can't pronounce. Uh, you can just trust me. I'm really smart. I know how to say them. I'm just making you feel better. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. So here's the, this picture. They're already, everything's being lived out. They're here to celebrate the giving of Torah. And they're here to celebrate what happened on Mount Sinai. And in front of their very eyes, it's being played out physically. I'm going to skip Peter's sermon. It's pretty boring and long. Joking, it's, it's good. Um, it's better than mine. All right, that's why we're skipping it. All right, so to 37. Now when they heard this, referring to Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's where you and I, we're done. I mean, that's what Acts 2 is about. It's, it's Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit, and we're like, and we're out. We're good. But we miss so much if we do that. It says, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. Okay. So Moses up on Mount Sinai receives Torah, comes down from, the, from Mount Sinai. 
What happens? Strolling down, got a couple tablets. What was the movie? Or, you know, three or 11 and drops one. Ten. I don't remember. Anyhow, it's a bad joke if you don't know the joke. Okay. Um, so he comes down and what happens? What does Moses find when he gets down from being on the mountain? What? <coughs> they were worshiping Baal, you said? Yeah. And how was Baal uh, expressed? As what? As a golden calf. Right? So they had the golden calf. And Moses takes, smashes the tablets, okay? Which is the same way as you and I might rip up a contract. He smashes the tablets to say, we're not doing this. This covenant is not going to happen. You can't, even, you can't even live well. And so God's like, all right. I almost swore. I swear in my church. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, that now I don't even know what word to say. It's hard to censor yourself. Upset. Uh, so God is upset and it says, I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses is like, no, 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 don't do that. And then Moses gets upset and calls the Levites. And what happens? What did the Levites do? Exodus 32. What did the Levites do? They kill them. How many are killed on that day? In Exodus 32. You know, I'm saying that because you probably have access to this wonderful thing called the internet. And you can probably look on your phones to Acts 32. Um, so, Acts 32. How many people are killed? Or Exodus 32, sorry. Huh? 3,000. All right. So 3,000 are killed by Moses and the Levites. Verse 41 of Acts 2. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now I think it's really important for us to talk about another piece of Shavuot. I know I'm just like throwing information at you. And this is kind of the hard part. This is actually why Tyler didn't want to teach this part. Right? This is the good luck on finding application. Uh, but in this picture, you have all these things happening. And in Acts 2, we see them paralleled. Right? Would you agree that those parallels are happening? That this is clearly the author, Luke. What? The microphone does not like that spot. Uh, that, the, uh, that Luke wants us to hear that the giving of Torah is being repeated in some way here, right? That this is being acted out. So at Shavuot in Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, uh, there is a section. And what does it say is that you're supposed to do that is not about what you bring to the temple, but what, about what you leave behind? Anybody? Yes. 
So leaving the corners of your field. You're supposed to leave and allow people to come and glean from your field. So the way that they understood this was that, first of all, Shavuot's really interesting because almost every other festival is about what you bring to the temple. And Shavuot finds it to be more important about what you leave behind. And that's so significant. It's also why Ruth is a part of this story. Because if you remember the story of Ruth, she goes into Boaz's field and gleans. And that's where uh, Ruth's story is. A Gentile who comes under covenant through Boaz, who gleans from the field. Uh, and it was the wheat harvest. And so all of this is very Shavuot. This is Shavuot lived out in some ways in the book of Ruth. And it's so significant because God basically tells Israel, if you bring me an offering and your neighbor has no food, keep your offering. I don't want it. Don't even bother coming to the temple. Just stay home. If, if you're going to walk up and try to get patted on the butt and told good game because you brought a couple cakes to the temple mount, but your neighbors are suffering, stay home. Don't come. In fact, I don't want your bread. You can keep the whole lot to yourself. I don't want it at all. Anybody remember how Act 2 ends? There's two key elements. Okay, they share bread, right? Well, they sell everything they had and made sure that no one amongst them were in need, right? But they also would gather every day and learn from the apostles. Basically, they were learning Torah. They were learning and studying the Word of God. You know, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So when they were getting together studying, they weren't reading Acts, which would be really Inception-like. Um, and so they're getting together and they're studying Torah, which was just given, right? Which was just demonstrated in this powerful way. And in order for Shavuot to be considered to be complete and good and to have been a proper Shavuot, nobody amongst the people could be in need. And that was the only way Shavuot was considered successful. And so here are the apostles. They sold their belongings and they made sure that nobody amongst them were in need. This is really, really significant. If you're going to use the book of Acts as the backdrop for what your church is going to be about, it's not about the movement of the Holy Spirit. I hate to break it to you. Uh, the Holy Spirit has this much in that entire passage. Right? This passage is about, are you going to dedicate yourself to the text? And it was very clear today, you are all very biblically literate. <laughs> um, are you going to dedicate yourself to the text? And are you going to dedicate yourself to making sure that nobody in your midst 
and in your community is in need. Because if you aren't, what does God say? Don't bother. I mean, congratulations on a great gathering where you all get to high-five each other, slap each other on the butt, tell each other good game, and this was awesome. But that's not the same thing as having a successful Shavuot. So how do we as a people imagine that we are to live in such a way that Shavuot can be declared finished, complete, and good? What do you think? Are you guys doing that? Is that your heart? Is that what you want? Because this, as, as Tyler said last week, Acts 1 was kind of a prelude. I'd say this is also part of the prelude. The entire rest of the book of Acts are stories upon stories of successes and failures at doing exactly what I just talked about with Shavuot. Whether it be Ananias and Sapphira who uh, pretended to sell everything they had and give everything in order to uh, make themselves look good and make it look like they've taken care of all the people around them and then suddenly die because of that. By the way, the word immediately there, if you break it into its two words, means alongside money, which is really funny. Uh, Okay, maybe my humor is dark. I don't know. (laughs) So, what are your thoughts is this, does this already define you? Is this the definition you want to live into? Um, I hope the answer to the second one is definitely a yes. And it's okay if the first one is not yet because we're striving. All of us are striving. I don't think my church could answer yes to this, right? I think my church would answer yes to the second question. So is that the goal and the hope? Are we more interested in declaring the Holy Spirit is here? Are we more interested in declaring that God is good and in God's goodness, God provides a harvest for each of us in such excess that we are able to care for all the people around us that are in need so that nobody else has need? Instead, we would rather do a pep rally. I got spirit. Yes, I do. I got spirit. How about you? Um, and, And really, I call that spiritual masturbation right? It's not helpful. What's helpful is being a people that see the needs, sees the suffering, sees the oppression, and doesn't stand by and watch, but steps in and says, I can't even think about going up to the temple until, or to God's presence, however you want to think about it, until I first care for them. Do you know where that first... Uh, I got two minutes. Do you know where that first comes up? This idea of putting God on hold and making sure someone else is fed? That's, that's a good answer, but that is not the earliest. We, I'm going back to Genesis. Abraham. Abraham. Yes. So, Genesis, do you know where that is? No. It's fine. I mean, you got the answer right. So, so it's Genesis 19. I'm sorry, 18. 19 is uh, a whole different destructive story. Uh, Genesis 18. And we miss here because we like to make the three strangers, like the Trinity, 
Like they walked around the wilderness together. I don't know. It was like a little gang. I'm not sure. But here is Abraham. The language has it that Abraham is sitting in his tent opening, having a face-to-face conversation with God. Looks over and sees three strangers walking and tells God, do you mind just hanging out a minute? I'll be right back. And gets up and runs to them. And by the way, he was just circumcised, so this whole running prospect is beyond me. Right? Runs to them and then offers them what? What does he offer them? Not quite. I mean, yes, but more specifically, how much bread? Close? No. Nope. It's not a number. A morsel. He offers them a morsel. And then he goes and Sarah makes three sayas of flour, which makes approximately 100 loaves of bread. And so he offers them a morsel and gives them a feast. So he puts God on hold to go and make sure that someone isn't hungry. And then, unlike the church, offers a morsel and gives a feast, we tend to offer a feast and give a morsel. And then pat ourselves on the back all day long for that, right? Because if they really were hungry, they would eat that stale bread, right? And so here's that picture. So right from the beginning, this idea of Abraham is being manifested over and over again. And we see it in the story of Acts 2. You end a story with the point. And the point of this story is that nobody was in need amongst them. So I pray that your community is a community that is striving for that, that that is the goal. That is the the thing that you are working at. Because in Deuteronomy 15, man, I'm just going to keep going. Sorry. Uh, In Deuteronomy 15, it says, if you do everything I've commanded, there will be what? Anybody get a feeling you might need to read the text more? (laughs) Anyone get in that, that vibe? If you do everything I've commanded, which you can't know what everything is God commanded if you don't read the text, by the way. If you do everything I've commanded, there will be no poor amongst you. And then it goes on to say, so when you meet someone who's poor, be generous. Why? Oh, because you didn't do everything I commanded. So you better be generous because the reason there's poor is because you didn't do everything I commanded. And then God laments at the end of Deuteronomy 15 and says something that you hear Jesus quote to the apostles. He says, oh, the poor will always be with you. I pray that the poor will not always be with you. Let me pray over that you and let me pray for that for your community. Lord, you are so good. Your word is good. Your word is bread. And though we do not live on bread alone, bread is what sustains us in order to know you better. Lord, may we be a people that make certain that those around us, that those in our community, those in our neighborhoods, those in our midst, go and have their fill, Lord, that they are taken care of and they are cared for. May we uh, be a church uh, that desires to not just care for the few, but to get rid of poverty, to get rid of hunger, to get rid of thirst. Lord, may we be a people that strive to live out and celebrate a good Shavuot 
may this year, may next year, we sit and reminisce about how this was a good and beautiful Pentecost and Shavuot. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I give you all the glory. You are beautiful, rich, and good. Amen. Amen.